People spend a lot of time on the streets of Manhattan looking up at the skyscrapers that surround them. But not many people get to look at the city from above unless it's from an observatory like the one at the Empire State Building or on top of the rock. Good morning. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. This morning, we're seeing the city through the lens of two photographers with different vantage points. First, Alex McLean, who photographs the city from the air. Alex is a trained architect turned photographer and pilot. He's been documenting the American landscape from the air for more than three decades now. Alex's latest book is called Up on the Roof, New York's Hidden Skyline Spaces. Alex, good morning. Hey, good morning, George. What inspired you to make the transition from architect to photographer and pilot? Oh, I got interested in um, uh, flying um, well, I would say the architecture school, just in being able to look at bigger landscapes and seeing sort of the context in which architecture fit in. And over time, uh, while I was at school, I learned how to fly and started taking pictures for projects, doing site analysis work, and uh, it just became more and more of an interest. I became really interested in landscape on a larger scale. You were once described as an artist and a sociologist. Do you see yourself that way? I think so in a bit, sure. Uh, You know, I've always loved the art aspect of the aerial photography, but I like to bring things in uh, to the photographs that seem to be relevant, uh, sort of learning lessons, and also just uh, showing, illustrating the way we live. What are you flying in to take your photographs? I started flying in Cessnas. They're a single-engine plane with a high wing, and uh, allows you to shoot out of the uh, of the plane. And since then, I've migrated to a light sport using uh, a CT, uh, a flight design CT. The CT stands for composite technology, and it's a fiberglass uh, single-engine plane that looks very much like a Cessna 152 with a high wing. But it doesn't have a strut that comes down from the wing, so it really gives you a very clear view. It flies as fast as my old plane, but uh, it can also fly slower, which allows you to circle and hover. It's also very quiet, so um, you're not really uh, intruding on people's uh, you know, noise space, so to speak. Do you have a co-pilot, or are you able to fly and take photographs at the same time? No, I do... Uh, about 99% of my flying alone. Uh, every once in a while, uh, especially um, I'm going to be going over to Germany for six months, and so when I work in Europe, I have a pilot just because my pilot license doesn't uh, transfer over unless I have a U.S. registered aircraft. So you were up there on your own mostly when you took these photographs in New York City? Well, actually, the New York uh, city photographs. Uh, I did some from my plane, but most of it actually was done from a helicopter. It just it was necessary uh, uh, because I had to be in closer than you're legally allowed to fly uh, in an aircraft, a fixed-wing aircraft, that is. What prompted you to start shooting New York City rooftops? I started getting interested in it. I was working with... Um, Michael Van Valkenburg, who's a landscape architect, uh, who's done the uh, Brooklyn, Pier, Brooklyn Bridge, Piers Park, and some of the other waterfront parks, Union Square, 
And uh, at the same time, my publisher in France was interested in uh, sort of the iconic rooftops of New York. And so at the time, I started looking around, and I was amazed at all the things you could see going on on top of buildings uh, from green roofs, uh, urban agriculture, swimming pools, playgrounds, uh, just very beautiful gardens uh, uh, that people had uh, cultivated, and then just the idea of taking taking this vacant space, which represents about 30% of New York's outdoor space, and utilizing it. Then there's also very large environmental implications, uh, most notably the, uh, you know, uh, using roofs for solar uh, panels, uh, but also important for um, controlling temperatures in the metropolitan area. New York and most cities are about seven degrees higher in temperature than their surrounding Environments. Yeah, I was going to ask you what trends are you seeing playing out on New York City rooftops when it comes to energy efficiency. Oh, it's quite amazing. I just over the uh, you know the two years that I was working on the project, the transition was incredible. Uh, most notable is uh, New York going from a black roof to a white roof. You know, back in the um, early two thousand, it's predominantly black roof. Uh, and then it sort of became a checkerboard of black and white roofs, and now it's predominantly, I would say, you know, almost 80% white roofs. Reflecting uh, the heat away from those buildings. Right. Uh, it does two things. One is it reduces the uh, air conditioning load in the uh, summer for the individual buildings, but collectively it uh, keeps the city cooler. The other thing that you see now just, uh, it's coming on really fast, or uh, green and planted roofs, uh, either uh, using uh, sedum or uh, more just gardens. What are some of the more unique uses for New York City rooftops you've come across? They aren't so much unique, but it, you just start to see more and more of it, or the uh, the bars and clubs uh, and just the uh, the leisure use in commercial buildings, but also uh, I really enjoyed seeing the smaller uh, brownstones where people had just gone up and started claiming space uh, on the roofs, you know, maybe with a a rug and, uh, you know, uh, lawn chairs, and you could just, you know, you could tell it was was filling a need. Space is a premium here in New York City. You have to claim every inch you can get, right? Well, I think so. You know, it's a lot of it's a lot of space going to waste, especially outdoor space. In some senses, it's so accessible; it's only you know feet above your head, and if you're on a top floor. The cover of your book features a swimming pool on a rooftop, and I'll tell you, if it weren't for the air conditioning units and the machinery up there, I would never think it was a rooftop. Oh, up there, sure. Well, that's one of the things that you do realize is, you know, how much of the rooftops are devoted to mechanical equipment, fans, ventilators, uh, pipes running. You know, you realize that those uh, represent a lot of energy use as well as uh, creating uh, quite a bit of noise. So that's, uh, you know, another advantage of the white roofs just to start reducing that kind of energy use.
How stark are the differences between rooftops and affluent neighborhoods in New York City compared to lower-income neighborhoods? I would say it's, uh, you know, it's very noticeable. When you get into your less affluent neighborhoods, you see uh, a lot less use, uh, both commercially in the apartment buildings as well as in the uh, residential buildings. But um, that's not to say that those spaces are uh, necessarily inaccessible because you do see some areas where, as I was saying earlier, how uh, people have sort of started to homestead on top of the roofs. Uh, you can just, you know, you can see that it's a very informal type of arrangement where people have gained access to the roof and uh, are taking advantage of it for personal use. Is there a certain area in New York City that has the best architecture for these shots? I would say, you know, one of the great things about New York is just how varied it is. So you see a lot of uh, variation. I think that's actually what makes uh, for, you know, the richness of the photographs. It's just how different it is. When you go to places like Soho, though, uh, you do see amongst uh, the warehouses or in the warehouses that have been converted to loft space, how people have gone up and uh, really put in quite nice outdoor spaces and often quite different in sort of the the uses from being uh, more formal gardens to others looking more like a suburban backyard with a terrace and a barbecue grill and maybe a basketball court or things of that nature. It's so striking to me to see the shots where you're both showing the street and the rooftop because those people are walking there on the streets of New York City, and unbeknownst to them, there are people up there on lounge chairs and swimming pools. It's such a dichotomy. Well, that was one of the things photographically that was really fun is to uh, show these two completely different worlds right next to each other and really the... uh, it sort of points to the separation of space vertically that you get, that you can actually, you know, by being up uh, anywhere from two to 20 floors, you can really uh, find some privacy that you don't have, obviously, on the street. It's almost like you're a spy up there, peering into the lives of these people on rooftops, viewing people in pools, on lounge chairs. You're kind of like a fly on the wall, but not exactly. I guess you're more like a fly in the air in New York City. What was that like for you? You know, I was very sort of dismissive of that when we put the book together, this sort of this whole idea of voyeurism. And, uh, but I came to realize after watching people and people's interest in the book that there was a great deal of interest in people just looking at other people and seeing what they were doing in a semi-private uh, situation. But I have to say, when I was uh, you know, taking the photographs, it was pretty much anonymous unless I was doing a lot of hovering and circling in one particular place, which I tended not to do just because I didn't want to be intruding in people's spaces. But um, it is interesting how, you know, humans are curious about other humans and like to look in and see how, how they're living. So that, that was sort of a surprise to me how, you know, that, that was one aspect of the book that I, uh, I didn't really appreciate while I was taking the pictures as far as for a viewing audience. What do you want people to take away from this book? What's your hope there? 
Well, I think, um, you know, one of the great things about uh, this project for me is that it's very positive. Uh, urbanism environmentally is uh, important, and living in a city is the greenest place to live on a per capita basis in the in the country. I think New York is, on a per capita basis, the greenest place to live in the city. And so it's important that urbanism is, uh, you know, successful and very livable. And I think taking advantage of, of rooftops for all these different types of uses is a very positive thing, and it has a lot of potential because so much of it is underutilized. When you look at the book, you think that, you know, everyone's living out on rooftops, but actually, in reality, it might be more uh, just 5% of the space is being used this way. So I, I see a huge potential that way. And then there are all the green aspects that we talked about earlier, uh, you know, the white roofs cooling the city, uh, water retention from storm runoff, the green roofs, solar uh, potential, the urban gardens, uh, and the urban agriculture. All of these things are uh, offer, I think, huge amenities for urban living, and it's underutilized, and people aren't taking advantage of it. So, yes, what I'd like is people to start to, you know, see what's going on in roofs, what the actual potential is of roofs, and uh, start, um, you know, taking advantage of that and thinking that way. I would think that when it used to be an afterthought, it is now no longer an afterthought. It's actually in the planning when it comes to designing these buildings. We're seeing that more and more. Right. I think that's, I think that's very true. I mean, if you walk along the High Line, which is, uh, you know, a repurposing of an outdoor structure uh, to use a surface space and make a park out of an old, you know, elevated railroad. If you walk along there, uh, you'll see one of the signs in the apartment buildings, you know, if you think that High Line's cool, you should see our roof. You know, so people, I think, are really realizing the uh, both the uh, potential and the monetary potential. Yeah, uh, it's a selling point. Yeah, exactly. Well, Alex, I think you inspired me to hit up a rooftop bar after work tonight. Good. (laughs) The book is Up on the Roof, New York's Hidden Skyline Spaces. Alex McLean, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you, George. You can learn more about Alex McLean's work at alexmclean.com. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Good morning once again. I'm George Borarki. This morning we're looking at New York City from a different perspective, from above. This next photographer snaps shots from elevated perches throughout the city. My name is Stuart Mater, and uh, about a year and a half ago I started a project called Elevator View. Uh, and the short description of it is New York photographed from elevated perches, so rooftops, balconies, um, generally anywhere above the street, about in the 30 to 50 story range. Now, how high do you think we are right now? Because right now we are perched above the streets of New York. We're about 20 stories above the street. We're uh, on the rooftop of 6 Columbus, which is a hotel just off Columbus Circle. And they've graciously agreed to let us use their rooftop, which gives us a nice opportunity to to look out over the city and and do the interview and and talk about this project from the perspective of the, the places that I shoot the photos. What inspired you to start this project? I wanted to do something to immerse myself in the city and really deeply understand it. 
And there are a lot of people who do street photography. You know, if you look at Twitter and Instagram and just about anywhere on social media, you see a ton of that. Tourists do it, but also a lot of people who live here do it. And as fascinated as I am by that photography, I wanted to look at the city from a different angle. It's funny, the idea for shooting above the street actually started off in an interesting way. I, I work in a building in Midtown East and I work on the 22nd floor. And as I was traveling up the elevator one day, I had this idea, wouldn't it be interesting to photograph the entrances to offices? Because there's such a variety of entrances to, to, to offices in buildings in New York. As I thought about the logistics of doing that, I realized it would be pretty hard sell. I, I, you know, a lot of offices might not want to be photographed. It, it might be a little difficult to just sort of stop on an elevator and snap a photo. And, and I started to think outside is even more interesting than inside. You know, New York in many ways is one of the most unique cities not only in North America but the world for its density and for the, the closeness and, and the, the, the beautiful gridded layout, particularly of Manhattan, um, but also of, in particular, the inner portions of, of Brooklyn and Queens. And so I wanted to really explore that and begin to document it. How would you say you view the city differently since starting this project? When you're on the street and you're you know, at street level, you experience the city in a certain way. You experience it at a human scale. Uh, you're mostly surrounded by other people. Um, when you get above the street and you know, you're 10 or 20 or 40 stories above the city, um, you're really surrounded by buildings at that point. And I mentioned those particular heights, you know, somewhere in the 20 to 40 story height, because at that level, you're surrounded by the city. Um, and by contrast, if you were to go up to the top of, say, the Empire State Building or top of the Rock, which are wonderful observatories in their own right, uh, but when you're up at that height, you really see beyond the city. And what I'm most interested in is seeing the city from a level where you're really surrounded by it. Because at that level, I appreciate the vastness of the city in a way that you really can't on the street because you see the very local area around you. So you see a block or two around you. You know, right now we're standing about 20 stories up. We can see Columbus Circle. Uh, we can see the, the tops of the buildings along Central Park South. And we can also see all the way out to the Upper East Side and over Central Park. But we don't see beyond that. So we're enveloped by the city, but we're seeing the city at a great perspective. Um, and that perspective is really, I think, an important thing um, when you look beyond just you know New York itself and you think about it from an, a, a sort of an urbanism context. And just as a, an example, I think photography at this level gives people the ability to see the city differently, but also to change people's perception of the city. How do you avoid being voyeuristic from this viewpoint? Because right now we can look directly into these office buildings, we can look directly into these apartment windows, actually. I don't specifically photograph in buildings. Um, that's one way that I avoid it. The gist of the project is to photograph urban landscapes or to think of it as the photographing the built environment as opposed to you know, a specific apartment or a specific little localized part of that environment. It's to give people a sense of what's the vista that you see 20 stories above Columbus Circle or 22 stories above 51st Street. So that's really how I avoid the project being seen as voyeuristic. And you know that question brings up a good point, which is there's also the security side of things. And one of the reasons that you know getting coverage for the project in the media is important is New York still, I think, and really I think the world, worries about things like terrorism. And so I think it's important for projects like this to give people a window on the city and also to educate people about the importance of understanding being in the city and understanding 
how to be a participant in urban life. That being said, how do you gain access to buildings that don't have places that are open to the public where you can shoot from? I know you have. That really is an adventure in and of itself. There, there are really three main ways that I get access. One is there are, there are obviously in some buildings spaces that are accessible, rooftop bars and restaurants. There are some rooftops in the city that are, that are obviously open to tourists. I have an unwritten rule that I try not to go to the observatories that you can just buy a ticket and, and get access to any time. Not because those aren't wonderful places with awe-inspiring views, but because one of the main goals for me in this project is to focus on showing a perspective of the city that people wouldn't easily see. You know, in other words, the less iconic views of New York City. One of the other things that I do is I've contacted real estate developers, uh, landlords, uh, and explained the project. Uh, and some have been gracious enough to invite me in and give me access to their spaces. And some of those visits are... Um, some of the most interesting and memorable ones I've had because when somebody understands the gist of the project and says, sure, you can come up to the building, spend an hour or two or as long as you need, I've gotten some of my best photos that way because I've been able to go up, for instance, in the late afternoon and hang around until sundown to the what photographers call the magic hour and really capture some, some, some views of the city that I've found personally just stunning to look at, but also to just spend time up there alone, just really the city and me, that, maybe more than anything else, is the most gratifying part of this project. What are among some of your more memorable photos? I've got a great shot of, it's a misty shot that I took from the 69th floor of the Chrysler Building. My dentist is up there. Uh, and that's actually one of the other ways I've gotten access is um, just people who've learned about the project independently of me pitching them and have, have invited me up. But I got this beautiful misty shot of the top of uh, the New York Life building, that golden-tipped roof, and then looking out in the distance, the silhouette of One World Trade Center, and then just a little beyond that, the Statue of Liberty. And that's a, that, to me, was a, was a wonderful image to get. Another great one that I got, um, a couple of months ago, I was up on the roof of 20J Street in Dumbo, uh, photographing a really interesting project called Water Tower. Um, Tom Fruin, who's a, uh, um, an artist, a mixed-media artist, uh, built a water tower completely out of uh, glass and metal, and it's, it's essentially a stained glass uh, structure. And it's an homage to, you know, the iconic New York City water tower. And I was primarily up there to photograph that water tower, but while I was up there, I managed to catch this shot of uh, One World Trade Center, New York by Gary, and the Woolworth Building perfectly in alignment so that their heights stepped down, and right below the Woolworth Center was the setting sun. And I managed to capture that through the suspension cables of the Manhattan Bridge. And that was one of those images that I had no idea I'd be able to get and was just in the right moment at the right time to get. Uh, and that's one of my favorites. Are you a photographer by trade or is this just a hobby for you? This is a hobby for me. This is, or maybe differently what I'd call it, is a side project. Um, Tina Roth Eisenberg is a well-known design blogger in New York. Um, she runs a lot of great events for, for the design community, and she's, I think, one of the people that's popularized the idea of a side project is something that is not uh, maybe more than a hobby but less than your career, but something that you, uh, you pursue with an almost professional uh, focus to it, and that's what this project is for me. Uh, in my professional life, I work in social media. I'm the director of social media for a nonprofit. Well, as we know, this is the city that will never be finished, so I'm sure you're capturing a moment in time. Twenty years from now, your photographs may be very nostalgic. And that's one of the things I love about this project is it's something that um, I could imagine doing for the rest of my life and having a, a wonderfully 
changing and dynamic canvas on which to do it. How many buildings have you photographed from so far? I would say about 40 at this point. And are there any dream buildings, any buildings that you are so hoping to get on top of to photograph from? I'd love to photograph from the Woolworth building. And it was just announced a week or so ago that a new developer has bought the upper levels of the building and is planning to convert it into condos. So that's one that I'd love to photograph from, partly for its historic nature, but partly for the fact that it's in that sweet spot of height. Um, and I think it's, it's a building that has this wonderful perspective on the, the rebirth of Lower Manhattan. Have you ever thought that you can go in as a prospective buyer, or would you rather not go in covert like that? I did that once. I was actually looking at a building in Jersey City. My wife and I stopped in. We were walking around Jersey City one day, and we thought, let's go in and look at this building um, just for the heck of it. They had an open house, and we looked around, and I happened to have my camera with me. And I was able to snap a few photos, but admittedly it was tough because the real estate agent obviously wanted to show us the property, and... Uh, so it didn't leave me much time to snap photos. What I have found has worked is I've, I've found that when I've gotten in touch with real estate developers and pitched the project to them, I've had a pretty warm reception. And that, and that I think, is helpful because then I can go in with the, the, um, the luxury of a little more time to, to look at the different perspectives from the building. Now, you mentioned that you were in Dumbo, so you're not limiting yourself to Manhattan. Do you hope to shoot in all five boroughs? Yes, I do. Um, I, obviously, I've shot a lot in Manhattan, but I've also shot three times in Brooklyn and would love to do more. I think, I think downtown Brooklyn is uh, experiencing a, a really tremendous growth right now, and I think uh, it's, an, it's a very dynamic area. I'd love to spend more time in there. Long Island City as well, in Queens, uh, is another area that... Uh, and to your earlier question about buildings I'd love to shoot from, I would love to shoot from the top of One Court Square, the, the city building in Long Island City. Um, I always look up at that building and I see the step backs to the roof and I imagine there are balconies up there. Um, but the Bronx as well, um, there are lots of buildings in the South Bronx that I think have a wonderful view, not only of that area of the South Bronx itself, but also the view over the Harlem River into Upper Manhattan um, and Staten Island as well. I would love to, to shoot, um, you know, I was on the Five Borough bike tour earlier this year and biking through St. George, I was looking at even some of the eight, ten-story buildings around there and thinking how great it would be to shoot uh, the views in there. Is there a particular time of day that you prefer to shoot? Because right now we are on top of this building at around dusk. Obviously, things look different depending on time of day. I prefer um, dusk or early morning. In the winter, it's a little easier to shoot at other times of day because the sun isn't as strong. Uh, in the summer, one of the challenges is haze. Uh, particularly on really hot days. But dusk, I think, is one of the most magical times of the city. The, the, the sun is beginning to go down. Some of the, the fiery colors that you see in the sunset are reflected in the buildings. The lights are beginning to come on. I'm, as we're talking, I'm looking at Hearst Tower and seeing the lights coming on in there. And the, the city takes on a special character at that moment because it's now really beginning to, to be lit from within by the buildings. And that is, is, is really a, a great time. Let me get inside your head for a moment, because you just mentioned the Hearst building behind me right now and paying attention to the lights coming on. So let me get inside the head of a photographer. Now, if you had your camera in your hands right now and you had to shoot, what are you looking for? So as I look around at the Hearst Tower, I see the lattice work of the structure of the building, and I see the juxtaposition uh, with the, the, the rows and rows of fluorescent lights. That's a shot I'd love to get. It's being slightly obscured by one of the iconic New York City water towers, and that would be another wonderful element of the photo. And actually, right below the water tower, 
I'm looking at this this beige brick building, which is I've walked by countless times, and it's nondescript from the street. But there is actually a beautiful brick arch supporting that water tower. That's the kind of thing that I would capture in a photo because that's the perfect example of something you wouldn't see from the street, and you get to see from 20 or 20 or so stories up. What about street life below? Are you interested in capturing street life below? I am. So as we look out over uh, the intersection of Broadway and Central Park South, you see the base of the buildings, how buildings meet the street, how they, how buildings themselves interact with the street, the people, the subway entrances, uh, the pedestrian space, um, and bike lanes. There's there's an immense amount going on on the streets of New York right now. And at the risk of sounding like a, a booster for the DOT, I'm one of those people that absolutely loves the rise in bike lanes and the rebalancing of streets for uses other than cars. Um, and that's something that I'm beginning to focus on in my photography as well, is picking up on those elements of street life where you see people not just hurrying from one place to another as is the stereotype of New York, but actually sitting in the middle of a street, reading a book or having coffee or, or chatting with a friend. I like to imagine those people are experiencing and absorbing some element of the city as they do that, whether they realize it actively or not. Stuart, for people who want to check out your website, it is? ElevatorView.com and at ElevatorView on Twitter. Stuart, thanks so much. Thank you, George. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. If you don't already, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We're listed on both as WFUV's Cityscape. I'm George Boraki. My thanks to senior producer, Morlene Chin, and producer, Julie Clark. Have a great weekend.